Well, hello, my friends. The grace and peace of our Lord and Savior be with you. I want to welcome you to the Sermons from the Cornfield podcast, a weekly podcast where the sermons that I preach each and every Sunday are uploaded for you to listen to and review. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill, and I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. God bless. Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. Again, this is Deuteronomy, chapter 34. I say verses 1 through 12. In fact, it's the entirety of chapter 34. But hear now these words. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebu, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. The Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequal for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, my wife Heidi and I were watching some game show on television. I can't remember if it was Family Feud or which one it was. But the question that came up was, was if you could only use two words on your tombstone or use two words on your epitaph, what would they be? Now, this was around the time where Duck Dynasty was super popular. And so without missing a beat, when I heard that question, I turned to Heidi and I said, he gone. In today's scripture, we come to the end of the life of Moses, and we find in these verses an obituary for this great hero. You can learn a lot from obituaries and epitaphs written on tombstones. Listen to some of these real messages actually found on tombstones. There was one that was side by side. It was a his and a her message. His was dated September 15, 1854, and it says, Stop here, my friend, and cast an eye. As you are now, so was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. And then hers, dated about five years later, says this. 
To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. In Ribbesford, England, there's a cemetery that has this tribute to a woman named Anna Wallace. It says, the children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him Anna. One creative man decided to play a game with his name in a Ruidoso, New Mexico cemetery. It says this, here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. Uniontown, Pennsylvania Cemetery has a memory that also indicates the memory of death. It says, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. You probably heard this one before. It's about a, a guy named Lester Moore, who was a Wells Fargo station agent out in Arizona in the cowboy days of the 1880s. He's buried in Boot Hill Cemetery in Tombstone, Arizona. His epitaph reads, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. Margaret Daniels has a grave in Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia, that says she always said her feet were killing her, but nobody believed her. A simple, simple message in a Georgia cemetery says, I told you I was sick. Yes, we can learn much about Moses from his obituary because it was written by God. But first, God gives him a view of the promised land. We find Moses climbing up a mountain at the age of 120 years. That's a pretty remarkable feat right there. Roughly, he climbed 2,330 feet, or the equivalent of about seven and a half football fields. At 120 years old, most of us in climbing a mountain like that would be huffing and puffing. But it was not that way with Moses, even at his advanced age, for the Bible makes his, this commentary on his health in verse 7. It says, his sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. I wonder why that was. Did God miraculously give Moses the strength to do the job before him? Then when the right time came, then Moses just simply went on to heaven? Possibly. Or it may not have been that miraculous at all. It might be that Moses retained his health because he had a worthy purpose all his life. He never retired. He was always on a journey, always on a quest. His life had a mission and a purpose, and that mission and purpose was serving God. Yes, Moses knew how to live in the dash, the kind of life God wanted him to live. We'll talk more about that dash in just a second. In verse 5, Moses dies and God buries him where no one would ever find him. It is a very touching scene. Moses has been such a great man of God who has spoken often with God face to face. In the end, it was just Moses and God. And then comes the final epitaph or the final obituary written by God. Verses 10 through 12 say, Never since has there arisen a prophet in all Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Unequaled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. What a fitting tribute to one of the greatest leaders in all of Scripture. But it has me thinking a little bit. I wonder what God would write for your epitaph and for mine. 
And I guess in a way, it is kind of up to us, isn't it? We may not control when we come into this world, and we may not control when we leave this world, but we are responsible to make the best of the time that we have in between. This brings us to living in the dash. One of the odd similarities of every tombstone is the way the passage of time is marked in the same way in each and every one of them. On every tombstone, you will find a birth date, you will find a death date, and in between that beginning and that end, the whole life is summed up with a simple dash. Life gets summed up by a small dash between those two dates. And that life is summed up by that small dash as what, is what makes up the obituaries written by family, written by friends, and what the preacher talks about at the funeral. But the important question, my friends, is not how you want your family and friends or even your preacher to remember you, but rather, what would God say if he wrote your obituary? In our text, we have the obituary written by God about Moses. It was added, obviously, sometime after his death. But since all scripture is inspired by God, we know that God wrote this obituary about this great prophet. Which brings us to our lesson for this morning, that is this. Since we will all stand before God, we need to live with his obituary for our lives constantly in view. We need to live with his obituary for our lives constantly in view. What will the Lord say about you? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Will he shake his head and say, your work is in the bonfire, but by my grace, come on into heaven? Or friends, will he utter those terrible words from Matthew 7, verse 23, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoer. Since we all will die unless Jesus returns before then, we need to live with our eternity in view, understanding that our decisions now impacts how that's going to turn out. Think about what Moses knew about God. God spoke with him face to face in a manner which he didn't speak to anyone else, even with other prophets. So Moses knew God in a unique way. But when it comes to the end, and we read God's obituary, it doesn't emphasize Moses' knowledge of God, but rather God's knowledge of Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's the exact opposite of the Lord's terrible words to those who claim to know him and to do miracles in his name when he says, I never knew you. The crucial question before us then, friends, is not do you claim to know God, but rather does God know you? You may think, well, doesn't God know everybody? I mean, he's omniscient, right? Not true. But God's knowing you refers to his foreknowing you as one of his chosen ones. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now listen to this. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. 
And these whom he justified, he also glorified. God's foreknowledge does not mean that he knew in advance that you would choose him or not. Rather, it means that he chose to know you before you existed. We Wesleyans would call that prevenient grace. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, great, but what if God didn't choose me? What if he didn't predestine me to eternal life? You see, the Bible never teaches a doctrine of predestination in a way to discourage or prevent anyone from coming to Christ. Quite the opposite. The Bible ends by inviting all to come to Jesus in Revelation 22, 17. And in fact, Jesus gives a wonderful open invitation to every weary soul in Matthew 11 when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That door, friends, is always open. And so our most vital question is, how can I know that God knows me? The biblical answer is this. Have you come to Jesus for salvation? Have you trusted in his shed blood to cover all your sins? Are you living fully the kind of life God wants you to live and are you who he made you to be? 1 John chapter 5, 11 and 12 tells us exactly how to live fully, to live the kind of life that allows us to be certain that God knows us. It says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life choice, friends, is yours, and it's very clear cut. It's life or it's death. You can live your life the way that you are made to live it. You can really live and not just simply exist, but to live passionately and live the kind of life that your maker intended, you must have the Son of God. And we nod our heads in agreement. We say amen in our hearts. But when we find ourselves alone, we hear a whisper. You know, God's offer is pretty, pretty good. He does offer you a better life, and you really ought to take it. Just not today. Do that someday. Maybe you're thinking about becoming a believer, committing your life to Christ, and you think, yeah, that's what I need to do. You think about committing your life to Christ, and you hear a whisper in your ear, what's the hurry? Not today. Someday. It's not a good day for you. Or maybe you're a believer and you're thinking about really living all out for God, really getting involved in the church, devoting yourself to the work of God. You think, I really need to do that. The whisper says, interesting idea. It's not today. Timing isn't right. Maybe someday when things settle down. Well, friends, God's favorite word is today. Satan's favorite word is Someday. Are you stuck in someday? someday? Someday when things settle down, I'll really live for God. Someday when I'm not so busy, I'll spend more time in Scripture. Someday when I get that promotion, I'm making more money, then we'll really start to give to the church. Stop waiting for someday. Loving God, loving others, beginning in your home, living and serving faithfully in God's church, and bearing witness as he gives opportunity is what God requires of us, and he requires it today. To do this, God must be central in our daily lives. Spend time each day with him, 
walk with him. It's a battle, I know, because other things invariably crowd in, but keep fighting for a God word perspective. Live in view of the fact that God will write your obituary. What do you want him to say about you? Some anonymous author once wrote a poem about the dash between the dates, and I'll close with it this morning. It goes like this. Memorial Day was over now. All had left and I was alone. I began to read the names and dates chiseled there on every stone. The names which showed whether it was mom or dad or daughter or baby or son. The dates were different, but the amount was the same. There were two for everyone. It was then I noticed something. It was a simple line. It was the dash between the dates placed there. It stood for time. The dates there belonged to God, but that line is yours and mine. It's God who gives this precious life and God who takes away. But that line between he gives to us to do with what we may. We know that God's written the first date down for each and every one. And we know those hands will write again for the last date has to come. We know he'll write the last date down, and soon we know for some. But upon the line between those dates, I hope he'll write, Well done. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless.